0: So I have this bowl of fruit here. Nice little illustration for this morning. I have strawberries and lemon and peaches and apples and mangoes and a banana. And here's the thing, though. This is a horrible illustration for what Paul's talking about. See, if we were talking about gifts of the Spirit today, this would actually pretty much work. Because gifts are different from each other. And they're unique from each other. And God gives gifts out randomly and universally. But Paul isn't actually talking about fruits. He's talking about fruit, singular. This is one of the problems with reading the Bible in English and only understanding English. See, we use that fruit word really differently, don't we? We never use it proper. I even said, here's a bowl of fruit. Well, it is a bowl of fruit, but it's actually a bowl of fruits. It's all different kinds of fruits. See how that happens? And see that what happens here then, this is not a list of different fruits in our lives and some of us get some of these and some of us get others of these. This is the fruit that God is growing in us and this list is the defining characteristics of that fruit. And that sort of changes everything what Paul's talking about and all these things that we've been talking about leading up to this. This has implications on many levels. The first implication is this helps us further grasp why Paul called this fruit and he called the other list works. Right? We looked at that. These are not individual things that we can pick and choose for ourselves and work on and create in our lives. This is a complete package together together that Paul's talking about. If we find we have one or two of these in our lives, well, maybe we don't have fruit of the Spirit, but maybe we just have solid personality traits. And we're going to talk about that in a second when we look at these. And as such, it is even more obvious why this is all about grace that we've been talking about. No one can will or force this complete package in their lives. And trying to do so, or worse, Trying to make others do so, which we do all the time, is only going to end up in a mess anyway. Remember, works can only create this in our lives. Eventually, all works, no matter how good they are, end up in this. Just a mess. Okay? And I want to make it about it. So grace, grace is the only thing that will grow this fruit in our lives. Nothing else. And I want to make a side note, however. This does not mean we are passive in this bearing of fruit. That does not mean we're passive in this bearing of fruit. So, for those of you who have been here through this series, if you haven't, I want to encourage you to get some of these previous teachings. All right, all these illustrations that we've been talking about for weeks leading up to this, now this is when it can be helpful. A tree, let's think about a tree. A tree does not focus on growing fruit or a vine or whatever thing you like best about growing fruit. A tree doesn't focus on growing fruit. A tree focuses on driving its roots deeper into the ground so that it can get more and more and more nutrients. In fact, I'm reading this fascinating book on wine right now, and the author, she was talking, who comes from a family of winemakers, was talking about the deeper roots are forced to go on the vine's the more complex the wine ultimately will be because of the, the way the roots are going and, going and they're healthier and they're stronger. And I love that. That's exactly what our role in all this is. is just driving our roots deep into Jesus Christ. Paul calls it walking in the spirit. The Cherokees call it feeding the good wolf. That's another parable we looked at. So this is not passive. When I say only grace can do this, that's true but it's not passive, but we don't work to grow this fruit. We spend our time and energy getting into Jesus Christ, fading into the mystery of Jesus Christ and the gospel. We focus on loving God and on being loved by God. That's our part in this. That's our role in how this happens. God's part is growing the fruit. And so maybe that's all starts to make more sense when we realize, well, Paul's talking about one fruit. The next implication is massively important always, but especially right now in this moment in history. And I'll probably offend people again like I did last time we talked about this. I believe history will judge this time as a watershed moment in the human story. And we Christians especially will be judged by history as to what we did in this moment. Understanding this fruit can help us know what God wants from us. Maybe that's why we don't focus on this and we focus on works and we focus on all these other things. See, the biblical narrative is clear that we are to follow Christ. He said it when he was here on earth in the flesh. He said, follow me. Paul was clear when he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Okay. Now remember though, when you hear that word, and hopefully studying Galatians now will help with the rest of Paul's library. Paul is not talking about doing something here, working something out here. He's not talking about go and learn how to imitate Christ. That's not what Paul's getting at. What Paul is getting at is feed the good wolf. Drive your roots into Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you will be imitating Jesus Christ. That's how it works. It's not a work. It's a mystery of grace. So remember that. We study him. We love him. We seek to understand him. We talk about him. And through all this, we find we are being made into his image. But do you ever notice how many of your conversations really center around the gospel? Even with your closest Christian friends, don't they center around what you think and we think? Right? I do that all the time. And and I love talking about Jesus Christ. But I find myself often not bringing my conversations back to, well, what would Jesus say or what would Jesus do? What is the gospel really all about? Okay? So then, the fruit of the Spirit ultimately is this. What Paul is giving us here is the defining characteristics of who Christ is and how Christ lives in the world. That's what this list is. This this list is who Jesus Christ is and how he lived in this world. Just like in 1 Corinthians 13, which we're going to look at in one second, is really ultimately about God, right? God is love. So when it says love is patient, love is kind, God is patient, God is kind. And this is exactly what God is making us into. Glorious kings and queens of the kingdom, like that great 30-second-from-Mars video we watch. He's making us into little Christ. So... Does everyone see what this means? Whether we want to see this or not, do you see what this means? There are so many definitions of Christians in this world. So many. And so many ideas of what Christians should do and how they should act and what makes one a Christian, etc., etc. And every single group of them will point to the Bible to support all their different views. So what do you do with that? Well, the reality is right here, we have a very clear and concise definition of what it means to be a christ in Right here. And when we really look at this and understand this is Christ, it brings into question all sorts of what people are passing off today as Christianity. Brings into question all sorts of stuff I pass off as Christian. What about you? Remember that list of works? Remember we looked at it. It's the exact opposite of the list of sins. Of I mean, the list of works, which is all our sins, is the exact opposite of the list of fruit. Remember we saw how Paul did that. It was this amazing composition he was doing. And yet this side discord, anger, rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, acts of envy that describes the Christian Church. Hmm mm. And so this moment in history is filled with this question, especially now. If we're following Christ, what should we be doing? following Christ. Plenty of people think Jesus is on their side. And then they point to the Bible and all sorts of random scripture to support that. Because most people are Biblians more than they are Christians. I've heard people teach on the Sermon on the Mount. I've read people talk about people's teaching on the Sermon on the Mount and then proceed to explain why it doesn't really apply to us in all situations because see this random um, verse here in the Old Testament says God justifies violence and hating our enemies. Okay, wait, so your Lord and Savior is a written word or is your Lord and Savior the living word? And when the living word was standing in the flesh, in our world, and he looked us in the eyes, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. Where do you get that as a Christian, we are to hate our enemies? So, let's be honest. If you look at your personal worldview, and your personal theologies, and your politics, and your philosophies, and they don't look like this, Perhaps it's time to ask ourselves a very serious question. Are we really following Jesus Christ? Are we really Christians? And I'm sorry, because I was the same. But if you have been taught, and your life has been taught that you are this wonderful, secure Christian because you know the right things or go to the right church, I'm sorry. That's not part of the biblical narrative. That is part of the theology of fear that many churches use to keep us in their group. The Bible says we will be known by our fruit, not by anything else. So, when we look at our life, Are we really following Christ, or are we following a very human-looking God that feeds our fears and causes us to live in our works of death instead of live in the grace of life? And I know this sounded harsh this morning, but I'm talking to myself. Through this series on Galatians with Romney's here today, which again, perfect serendipity that the calendars match. Romney is the one two years ago who said, David, I'd like you to teach on the fruits of the Spirit. See how I just did that? I called it fruits of the spirit. See? Because it's my whole life has been fruits of the spirit. And I said, well, sure, Ram, but I can't do that if I don't teach in context. I'm going to teach on Galatians. Here we are two years later. We're finally here. It's changed my life. I'm pretty sure I got saved recently. And that leads to this last implication. This is all indicative. Remember? Remember? Now we can understand maybe just how vitally important that is. Let's use the tree illustration again. Does fruit on the branches make a tree alive? When you go in the garden and you see tomatoes, are the tomatoes making that tomato vine alive? Or are the tomatoes indicative that the vine is alive? When you walk through an orchard, the apples are indicative that the tree is alive. They don't make it alive, and you see. So what we've done to each other in our Christian world, where we demand everyone look and act the same, we force people to put. To, we force people to put fruit on. Wake up on Sunday morning, put your fruit on. It'll make you alive. No, it won't. We have fruit because we're alive, or we don't because we're not. All we have to do is focus on being in Christ, and then He will make us alive, and then He will grow the fruit. And so that's what we're going to consider for the rest of this morning. I'm going to go a little bit long, and I know it's hot, and some of you are already asleep, and I'm sorry, but this is here, so you can come back to it, okay, when it's not hot, and you're in your own house, and you can take notes, and you can really listen. So it's okay. Close your eyes. I'm fine. My best friend, Neil, God bless him. He's He's in heaven now, but... When I was in Australia and we, we, we had Bible study every week and he and his wife would come and every single Bible study I'd look over and Chrissy, his wife, Chrissy would be like. <laughs> and at the end, you know, it'd be time and she'd wake up. She goes, it's just your voice is so soothing. I'm like, no, Chrissy, it's because I'm boring. You can be honest. Um, when you were talking about the fruit of the Spirit and yeah. the fruit being indicative of the tree... Many years ago, uh, uh, our family went out to an apple orchard, and there was this tree there called a pumpkin tree. And what they did was tie pumpkins on the tree. That's awesome. And so that kind of reminded me of sometimes trying to tie pumpkins on our tree. Amen. And this is why, thank you for bringing it up, and this is why it's so important to understand this is the fruit. And nothing else. And that's what we do. And so today in the world, you have Christians doing all sorts of things. There is a Christian pastor that stood in his pulpit with a gun and said, We will kill them when they come for us in a Christian church. I am not bringing politics in. This has nothing to do with the Second Amendment, nothing to do with anything. There is nowhere that Jesus Christ said, Kill your enemies. I am sorry. That is a theology of fear. And that is a pumpkin tied to an apple tree. I'm sorry. And if you're going to tie pumpkins to an apple tree, your tree's dead. And so here's what we're going to do the rest of this morning. And again, if you need to fall asleep, just come back to it. But look at, we're going to look at each of the characteristics of the fruit and what they are and what they are not, and what some of the imposters are. And I think you're going to find this fascinating, because I was blown away. I've been blown away. Ronnie. I can't thank you enough or thank God for asking you two years ago to ask me to teach on Galatians. I thought I knew Galatians. And what we're going to do is we're going to honestly reflect on our lives and ask ourselves this question, are we Christians? All these years, some of us have gone to Christian colleges. Some of us have been in church forever. Some of us are pastors. Are we Christians? But I want to say two things to qualify this. Remember, we are in the eschatological age of the kingdom. I talked about this a little bit at communion. And what that means is now and not yet. This is very important to understand, especially when reading Paul. Now and not yet. Salvation has come, but it's not yet fully realized. Redemption has come, but it's not yet fully realized. The kingdom has come but it's not yet fully realized. Remember that, that's important. So like when David was talking about, we are clean, but we are not yet all clean. That's what the eschatological age means. So we shouldn't be worried if we find that we are not always a perfectly ripe, delicious fruit. Okay, so if you sit here and honestly reflect and you find, whoa, that's not me. Okay, let's not start worrying yet. Maybe we should not even be worried if we find we are decidedly barren at the moment. Because it might be winter after all. And just like all good gardeners know, a lot of growth happens in the wintertime. Okay? And remember what I said a number of weeks ago. There are also physical and mental reasons why people are in a place where they cannot have this kind of fruit right now in their lives. Let's not be judgeful of them and let's not be judgeful of ourselves if that happens to be. But what we are looking for is this. Indication that fruit is growing. And often, that is simply the fact that we understand this is where God wants to take us. And we actually want to be taken there. We really do want to be like this Christ. The worry comes in and should come in for any of us when we discover That not only are we not seeing any evidence of this fruit in our lives, but we actually don't even want this fruit in our lives. That's the big one. And we think following Christ has nothing to do with being like this. This is the big one. This is what scares me when I read comments after people have written Christian articles. When I go on Facebook and listen to the rhetoric going back and forth in arguments. It scares me for people. I I just don't see all they're arguing I'm like okay but that's great that you're so good with theology and this and that and, and you've read that person this person but I can just tell this fruit is not your life if that is the case then maybe we really do need to ask ourselves are we in the kingdom and that leads to the second thing I want to say before I begin this is not easy I know it's not easy. It's not meant to be. And when I was first putting my notes together, I was trying to find words to make us feel okay with that. And then I thought, wait a second. This is exactly what grace is all about. When we truly see ourselves for what we are, unable to grow this fruit no matter how hard we try, and we realize all our Christian works are nothing, and we find we really like the bad wolf better than the good wolf, then we are ready maybe to finally fall on our face and receive grace. And that's nothing to feel bad about. Don't feel bad about it. This is the day of salvation. That's all. And that's beautiful. Don't feel bad about it. But let this bother you. If you look in the mirror in the next 10 minutes and this isn't you. And then after it bothers you enough, get on your hands and knees and get saved. Start loving the Lord and let him start changing your life. So let's look at this list. Starts with love. This is everything. All the other characteristics include and come from this. We talked about this for weeks on end when we were in 1 Corinthians 13 years ago. And I think I might come back to that as a supplement to this teaching because of how important that is. But I want you to notice something. You ever read 1 Corinthians 13 really closely? See this definition of love? Love is patient, kind, does not envy, does not boast, it does not, and on and on. Sort of sounds exactly like what Paul does here in Galatians, isn't it? It's almost the same. It's almost the same. It is one fruit. It is the expression of Jesus Christ. This is altruistic, sacrificial love, is what Paul's talking about. Okay? Paul says... He built up to this. What did he say in Galatians 5, building up to this? The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Be slaves to one another in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he gets here. And he says the fruit of the Spirit is love. The opposite of love is fear, self-protection, taking advantage of people. That's the opposite of love. Living for yourself and not living for others. That's the opposite of love. Now, here's the imposter. I want you to pay careful attention to the imposters today. This is what really got me this week as I've been studying. The imposters. Treat someone well because they make you feel good. No, that's not love. Boy, but that sounds like relationship, doesn't it? Love is not romantic. Romantic love is all wonderful for selling books and selling movies. That's not agave. Another imposter is feel-good friendship. And that defines a lot of Christian churches. And this is what Christian churches do. They will narrow the scripture so much that they will tell you all Jesus and Paul are talking about is how we treat other Christians. And oh, by the way, because we're the only Christians and all those other churches aren't, we can treat them however we want. Okay, that's the most narrowest God I've ever heard of. Sounds a lot like me. And there we are, back to self-worship. Back to the theology of work. See how this happens? Why grace gets lost all the time? Another opposite. If you do this for me, I will do this for you. Second, joy. Let me get through this, because this one here starts to help you understand exactly what the fruit was, and this was the paradigm shift for me. Okay? Okay? This joy, this word that Paul uses here, can be a form of elation that is caused in and by God. So it's caused in us. It's caused in us by God for who He is. Alright, that's the key there for who He is. This is a future looking rejoicing, rejoicing action that is hopeful for what God is doing and will do. Okay, this is important. Hear this. None of these characteristics are internal feelings. And I think that's another thing that has gone wrong with the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about. Like, oh, Paul's talking about how we should feel inside. No, not at all. He's talking about how we should live in the world. So if we go to Philippians and we read through Philippians, joy is a prominent theme in Philippians. And yet Philippians is all about sacrificing. It's about Jesus pushed aside everything to sacrifice. It's all about sacrificing ourselves for the unity of the community. That's what Philippians is about. And yet it's filled with joy. This is, get this. Paul in this list is not meant to be understood as inner qualities of personal experience. They are meant to be how we live in the world, loving others. That's why Paul can say things like rejoice in all things and that, though we are sorrowful, we are always rejoicing. How about this one? Though we are sorrowful, we are always rejoicing. We love to quote, I think Thessalonians, when he said rejoice in all things, we we love to quote that at people. First of all, make sure you... Know what you're talking about when you quote that. And this has helped me now understand what Paul is getting at. This isn't a feeling. I am not joyful right now. And I haven't been joyful for a long time. It's dark right now in my life personally. But, I do express joy. And I rejoice. And that is not a lie. And I make myself celebrate life, like we talked about last week in our garden service. I don't feel it. That's not what Paul's talking about. And I think a lot of us have been hurt through the years because Christians have taught, oh, you're supposed to feel it. Feelings are tricky. But, though we are sorrowful, we are rejoiced. That's different. That is so different. How do we live in the world? And besides, the whole idea that Paul was ever talking about, think about it. If God said, Jesus said, you will be known by your fruit, and this is an internal quality, who are we to judge what's going on inside people's hearts and minds? Again, we make them tie the pumpkins on. Come to church with a smile on your face, you must be joyful. What? I can smile all day long while I'm crying inside. These are how we live in the world. Okay, here's the opposite of joy. Hopeless, I, everyone, everyone's like, can you hurry up, please? You're only on two. We have seven more to go. <laughs> Hopelessness and despair is the opposite of joy. And again, that's acting hopeless and despairing. We may be feeling it. But what do we do with it? And the imposter, ready? I just talked about the imposter. Happiness and feelings of elation because of great circumstances or blessings, okay? Naturally, it was the greatest thing, I'm gonna use my best friend as an example, it was the greatest thing last August when everything was dying and stopped in Rich's body. So of course he was elated and there was much joy. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. It was the 12 months previous when, who knew what was going to happen, and he's still praising God, and thanking God, and trying to figure it out. He wasn't faking. He was rejoicing, despite being incredibly sorrowful and afraid. The impostor of joy is happiness and feelings of elation because of great circumstances and blessings. That's not, Jesus himself was a man of sorrow. All right, number three, peace. Another big one. This one's really going to change things for you. This word is what the Hebrew concept of shalom is all about. Remember, Hebrews wrote our Bible? Greeks didn't. Okay? This is totally different than the Greek idea of peace as an inequality of serenity and a quiet mind because absence of pain, etc. That's not what Paul is talking about when he says, fruit of the Spirit is peace. I'm sorry. But that should also make many of us feel good who have never had an inner peace. Because that's not what he's talking about. And if you've always felt guilty about that, I'm sorry. What Paul is talking about is what the Jews understood. This is the idea of peace with others, healthy relationship, and healthy relational concepts. And this all starts with peace with God, and that leads to peace with others. Again, we focus on God and our lives change. If we try to, oh, let's, let's have peace. Well, good luck with that. When your life is perfect, you will have inner peace. You don't need the Spirit for that. But man, when our lives are a mess and we can live peace, that's only something the Holy Spirit can do. Okay? So, watch what Paul said in Romans. Romans. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. The spirit in us is driving us to do that. And what did Jesus say? Now we can finally understand what he said in Matthew 5. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. These aren't people that necessarily were serene inside. They were working actively to create peace in their community and with others. And boy, to go back to what I said earlier, how does that fit in with your philosophies and your theologies and your politics and your worldview? Well, the God in us is trying to make us peacemakers. And if we spend our time destroying peace, are we in the kingdom? Are we in the kingdom? Now, this comes from, again, a forward-looking confidence and rest in God's love and the reality that resurrection and love win. That's why we have communion, right? We know love wins. Here we go, the opposite. Anxiety and worry and fear, which breaks down relationships. And again, let me be clear. There is a level of anxiety and a level of worrying that can happen because of mental illness. It's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about those of us who do not have mental illness and are specifically constantly anxious and worrying and fear because we're so self-focused instead of being open to others and what God is doing and trusting that God has it. Trusting that there is life at the end. Here's the imposters. Calm that good circumstances bring. Indifference. You might find some and go, wow, they're really peaceful people. No, they're not. They're just indifferent. They don't care. They're apathetic. And so that all brings a false peace among people. All right, the next one patience. Remaining calm and level in the face of problems and chaos and strife. Here's the hard part about patience this is enduring wrong without anger or vengeance. This is love of enemies in action. We're looking in the mirror, remember. This is a tough one for me. Opposite of this is resentment and reacting with violence and anger against people who hurt us or disturb us. Here's the imposter. The imposter is just having a natural predisposition to calmness or a self-discipline of being able to wait for things. It's not what fruit of the Spirit is. The fruit of the Spirit is living in this world, Loving our enemies, enduring wrong without anger or vengeance, enduring, this is Jesus Christ, remember? Sitting in trial, being lied about, lied about. Gosh, how many of us hate to be lied about? Oh, isn't that the worst, when you find out someone lied about you? And there's Jesus just with his mouth shut. Not because he had a nice peaceful disposition, because he was living peace, patience, I mean, in this world we are being made like Christ. Number 5, kindness. This is a huge one that seems to be completely lost on the Christian world right now. Kindness. This is serving others and putting others first even when it makes us vulnerable or at risk. Why do we know this is a picture of Christ and this is a picture of God because Paul tells Oh, sorry, I was already there. Paul tells us so. Do you not know that God's kindness leads to repentance? And what did God's kindness get him? Killed Yes, kindness will make you vulnerable and at risk in this world. I'm sorry. There's a whole other bunch of choices than Jesus Christ. All I'm asking is if you're not into Jesus Christ, just don't use his name like that. That's all. Kindness will make us vulnerable and at risk. But it's how God lived in the world. That's why I love one of my favorite lines from East West that you played today. Your smile destroys my religion. Because all religion is is trying to make God happy. And he just shows up and smiles and says, Well, you don't need that because I already love you. And you're wonderful. Kindness. God extends his generosity even to his enemies. Kindness in us is extending generosity to others is founded again in a deep inner security of being loved by God. That's feeding the good wolf, remember? That's walking in the spirit. What's the opposite of kindness? Self-protective, envying, living only for ourselves, excluding others. And the imposter, the imposter on kindness is really big. One of them is just as sweet disposition some people have. It's a lot of kind people. That doesn't mean it's the fruit of the Spirit. More parts of the imposters are manipulation, doing good for others so we can feel good about ourselves. That's sort of what we do with God, a lot of us. That's where legalism comes in. We'll do this for God and we feel good about ourselves. Okay, and hope God feels good about us too. And following closely on kindness is goodness. This is the ongoing action of kindness, if you will. That's what this is. Kindness and goodness is the ongoing action. And it's being authentic in all circumstances and in all times. The opposite of goodness is being a phony, being a hypocrite. And an imposter is acting with false sincerity to make ourselves feel better. Then we come to faithfulness. This is a tough one. If you you haven't looked in the mirror yet and gone, oh no, maybe this one will do it. This is reliable. True to our word. Loyal. A lot of things that we just don't have in the world today, isn't it? And again, this is God. Paul said this. What if some were unfaithful? Were there unfaithfulness nullify God's faithfulness? Not at all. Because God is faithful. God is faithful. Remember, nothing can separate us from His love. He is faithful. And so we are to live this way in the world. Think about that. The opposite of this is being a fair weather friend or having lines in the sand that make us give up on others and on relationship. We always have lines in the sand. Every time I do my pre-cana counseling before I marry people, I ask them, so what's your line in the sand in this? When are the vows you're going to make in front of me that I'm supposed to witness and marry you in front of God, when are those vows not going to be enough? And I make them do it. And they've got to write out what that line in the sand is. And then we talk about, are there lines in the sand when it comes to these vows? Maybe we shouldn't get married. Let's just live together. (gasps) You're a pastor. You can't tell me to live together. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather you live together if you're going to leave each other in five years. (laughs) David's going to hell. I can't go to his church. There are no lines in the sand with God. And he's asking us to be faithful. Now the opposite of this is fair weather friend. Having lines in the sand that make us give up on others in on relationship. But here's the imposter. Always being there, but not always doing what's best for others. That's a tricky one in relationship, you guys. We can help others wallow in their misery or sin because we don't want to offend them. That's an imposter of faithfulness. Always being there, but not as they're pouring their heart out to us, not finding ways to say, well, maybe we need to think through this a little bit. That's faithfulness, being loyal to our friends and our family. Not to people we don't know. This isn't about judging. This isn't about going around telling other people their business and other churches. That's just when people are in your life confessing to you their life, and we don't offer up ways to help them work through that. But just allow them to stay in their misery. I don't think that's a good thing. Gentleness. Here we go. Gentleness. This is the way we deal with people. Not in extreme anger, displeasure, disgust. Okay? That's the opposite. Arrogance and self-assertion, self-absorbed and feelings of superiority. That's the opposite of what gentleness is. I'm going to be carrying this one with me when I coach this fall. Because I'm not gentle with the refs often. And I need to be. And you know, it's funny. I've always, I let people even tell me, "Oh, don't worry about that, it's just what you do. I'm like, no, wait a second. I can be a great coach and still live like Christ in the world. I can. I can. I'm going to practice this fall. And the imposter, again, is a sweet disposition some people are born with, or an inferiority complex, and not feeling as good as others. False humility, that is because of self-judgment. That's all the imposter of gentleness. Let's not be self-judging. God loves us. Let's help God help us see ourselves and then dive into the mystery and he can change us. But let's not go around wallowing in disgust and self-hate. That's why another part of that great line, guilt went looking for my past. Guilt always wants to drag up our past and make us feel bad for things we did or said. That's not from God. That's not from God. God loves us. And then finally, self-control. Finally, everyone's like, yes, probably. This is not the absence of passions, but the ability to not serve our wanton desires and instant gratification. Passions are passions. But one, one, uh, one commentator said it this way. I forgot to put his name down, so I'm not sure who it was. This is putting the important ahead of the urgent. I love that. Putting the important ahead of the urgent. What's the opposite? Impulsive, lack of control, emotional swings. The imposter, and some of you in here I know personally, like me, this is a tough one. The imposter is disciplined willpower based on pride. That is a tough one. That hurts me all the time. Because I can be a very disciplined person when I want to be. That doesn't mean I have the fruit of the spirit and self-control. That's often a very prideful self-discipline that makes me do things. But the fruit will give us all that self-control. So, now with a fuller understanding of the fruit of the Spirit, if you were able to stay awake, how was that look in the mirror? And if you weren't able to stay awake, look in the mirror this week. Sit on these things and ask ourselves three questions. But remember, this is not about thinking, oh man, I have to work harder, I'm a horrible person, I'm not a Christian, etc., etc. That's not what this is about. This is about coming to the best place of all, learning the difference between grace and works. I feel like this is such an important culmination of so much that we explore here at Cana to understand this. This is about saying finally to God, I can't do this. I can only Foul at your feet and worship you and love you and fade into your mystery. I can only walk in the spirit. I can only feed the good wolf. I can only let you change me. So this for all of us can be the day of salvation. All of it. And remember, Paul said, against such things, there is no law. We'll talk about some of that final stuff at another time. But I want you to remember this. All of these characteristics... Love, peace, patience, joy, kindness are the opposite of the works of the flesh. So here's the beauty. When the fruit is there, the works of the flesh can't be there. That's what Paul tells us very clearly. The more fruit we have in our lives, the less of the other things that we don't want in our lives. So together, let's focus on walking in the Spirit. Let God do what He does grow the fruit. We can all be like Christ in this world. Think about that. What could be better than being like Christ? Amen. Amen. God, of course prepared for those who love you. Such good things at understanding. Pour into our hearts such love for you, that believing loving you in all things and above all things, and knowing your promises, to see all of you inside. Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. God freely created us so that we might know, love, and serve him in this life and be happy with him forever. God's purpose in creating us is to draw forth from us a response of love and service here on earth. All the things in this world are gifts of God created for us to be a means by which we can come to know him better, love him more surely, and serve him more faithfully, and live out the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Thanks so much. I am so sorry I went so long today, but I just really didn't want to divide it into two. I hope this Galatians series has been good for you as it has been for me. We'll see you next week at Camp Cielo. Go in peace. Thanks for being here.